the 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour. Cofield, Will Ramirez is the company. Caleb Herring, football insider coming up in less than 15. Let's do it. So news comes down about the NCAA and divisions, because this has been a discussion, Willie, about how all the conferences are going to divide up the league and really decide on how they play their championship game and who gets auto bids. Well, I guess it's sort of an auto bid. Whatever. Um, most of the leagues want to go to a more open status where they can guarantee the two best teams are in the championship game and they don't want to have a situation where you've got you know a team that's nine and own conference going against the other division you know where the the champ might be you know six and three so they're going to make a move on that and the pac-12 has already done it so the pac-12 for the conference title game i don't know if it's going into effect for this year we'll double check it but there is not going to be a uh, requirement that the winners of the north and south play each other so they're just going to try to match up the two best teams by record, and I guess each conference can determine what the tiebreakers are. Which I think is going to lead to pods in each conference, and you're going to have a three- or four-team pod where you have your rival in there and someone else who's prob- you know, probably a regional match, and then they'll make the schedule from there. So almost isn't uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't the MAC like that where it has the East and West and then within each East and West – Maybe I don't know. Uh, anyway, so you could have like there's still USC, UCLA, and then maybe I, Arizona, I, Arizona State. No, well, I guess if you did fourteen pods, you could do that. I saw the Mountain West was talking about people were suggesting the Mountain West could do three team pods, which I immediately throw out. I'm like, all right, UNLV, Reno, New Mexico, let's go. And then you can put. Uh, let's see, Boise, Wyoming, and Air Force in their own pod. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy those matchups, guys. I just don't. <laughs> I think when you overthink it and you and you do something like this, you're still going to lead yourself to controversy on years where you're going to go, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Well, it's like that the big. The- it's like the Big Ten did in the COVID year, where Ohio State was yeah. on the outside looking in, and they, you know, let's let's skew things a little bit. We got to change things. Yeah, get them in. Yeah. So I. I, I I mean, I guess, hey, you want to make the effort to try to do something better, but it's it, it, it's never going to please anybody, and it's never going to be right. It's just, you 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 know, um, I, I don't have a problem if there's leagues that want to just have two divisions, period, and let it play out when the team's with the best record. But you're telling me that – if you're telling me that some of them are saying, well, we'll have it a north and a south or an east and a west, and but the top two teams aren't guaranteed, we're going to decide which was actually better based on this – that doesn't make sense. You know, you're just talking about working out, rehab, the gym, behavior at the gym. Did you see the really terrible injury yesterday on video? You know, little Tariq Cohen from the Bears who, you know, hasn't played in forever, at least healthy since a torn ACL a couple of years ago. He's working out. And then people said they what they saw the video. They see him go down. I saw some people on social media say they thought they actually heard a pop. Oh, I don't, I don't, here's the first time I saw or heard anything about it. Somebody had said, um, I think it was Jordan Schultz, who's a pretty good follower on Twitter. He had said, please don't reshare the video. This guy's been through enough as it is, so on and so forth. And so, of course, you know, the very first thing I do is 
search Google and or uh, search uh, Twitter and Instagram for the video. And I mean, he was just doing some simple little explosion exercises on the turf and boom. And, and that's one of those injuries where you just don't know because when it's ready to, it's, it's going to event. It's like, there's nothing this kid could have, nothing he could have done. It was ready to go because it was, it was right on that verge. And here he was doing, here's a strong young kid. And he's just doing, like I said, some, some simple little speed exercise, little footwork, little explosion, bam. And he goes down and just heartbreaking to see. Real quick, just to go back to the uh, pod idea for, say, the Pac-12. Yeah. The pod idea would probably be four in each. They would have the Northwest schools, the California schools, the Arizona and Mountain schools. Huh. So. So it'd be Cal, USC, Stanford, U- USC, UCLA. Correct. Northwest, Oregon and Washington, plus Washington State and Oregon State, and then Arizona State, Arizona, Colorado, Utah for the other pods. So you get to play your local rivals. And then you know, they mix and match outside of your pod. And I think that's going to happen in a lot of conferences. And that's why there's a big argument. You know, in the SEC, there's going to be a lot of arguing. Yeah. Right? With Texas and Oklahoma coming in, there, you know, there's a lot of people who think Texas A&M doesn't want to be in the same pod as Texas. I don't know that Texas and Oklahoma want to be in the same pod. And then, of course, no one wants to be around Alabama and Georgia right now. So good luck figuring that one out. Well, in SECs, I mean, they could not want whatever it is that they want, but – you know, when you have built-in rivalries, that's what the conference is going to want because they're going to sell of course. for the marketing. That's why I always thought it was really interesting that Tennessee kind of has a rivalry, even though there's not a lot of success recently with Alabama. In this case, if I were the fans, I'd be like, you know, we're good. Tennessee is one of those schools, I would think, though, that they sort of have rivalries with it because they don't have a true blue. So because they, you, you could argue they have a – I mean, Florida is their number one. I would think that's their uh, that's their built-in. I mean, rivalry. regionally it should be the, Georgia, it, re- Alabama. Well, regionally it should be, probably could be Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Yeah. Which, if yeah. I were a Tennessee fan, I'd be like, oh yeah, we'll sign up for that. Yeah. Well, and Vandy, I mean, they're same state. So I mean, but but in the yeah. past, it was always right, wasn't it? Fulmer and uh, mm-hmm. what's his, oh, uh, Florida? Yeah, uh, Fulmer and Spurrier. Yeah. So I mean, Florida and Tennessee for a long time. So James Bradbury does not sign with the Raiders. I. Never really felt that strongly about it, and I didn't understand why Raiders blogosphere was so teed up about Bradbury from the Giants. You know, we had Mark Ross on, a, a former Giants exec, and he was before Bradbury, but Giants exec, Eagles exec, he's on NFL Network. And I, I threw the name Bradbury out to him about two weeks ago, and he was like, eh. He's like, probably overpaid, maybe a second cornerback, probably a third, has lost a step, like was not high him at all. And I, it's like, it just, it's weird. With 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 Raider fans, Raider Twitter, Raider blogosphere, they they latch in on a guy. And I listen, I know and then it's they focus on him so much, like Stefan Gilmore for six weeks. Right. It's like Gilmore, get like Well let me I don't you. think they're spending ten million dollars on a cast off cornerback to improve their cornerback ranks. And we've seen it now repeatedly where you know they don't get Bradbury, he's getting ten. They don't get Gilmore, he got two years you know, north of 20 million. I just don't know that. Yeah, I think they're good. These guys are going to look at it in certain areas. They're going to spend money in other areas. They're going to piece it together. Before the Raiders came here, I, I would guess that the, if there was one beat that you paid attention to more than the others, it was going to be always be the jets. No. Okay. So anytime something came up in an area of need, when you see that's where the jets, as you put it, the Twitter sphere for the jets, 
they're going to go after this. Let's go after this. It probably is the same so way. I, I just I don't follow it that yeah, closely. So I'm sure so I'm, so I'm sure it's most. It. Yeah. I'm sure. And we notice it more. But I think you also have to step back and go, that's not how good football organizations build by just – the Rams are doing it, right? The Rams are doing it. And I guess the Chiefs are kind of defying logic by going after high-dollar guys. But there are organizations out there. You have your four guys that you pay. And then it's the job of the GM and personnel and the coach to find other guys who are cheap, maybe early in their career, late in their career, and that's how you build. So wait, you're telling me that all pro sports, it's not about going out and getting that shiny new toy? Not every time. And again, guys who, I know you're being sarcastic, but guys who come from the Belichick family, that's not what Belichick really ever did. Ever. It's always about. Why would you you believe they're they're, they're doing, I mean, they kind of blew us away with the Devontae Adams deal. And, you know, Ngakwe to Chandler Jones is a little bit of a bump, but it's not, you know, it's basically a trade and they, they get, you know, Rakasin in it. But I don't see them. They did resign Crosby. So I guess they're a little bit different than okay, Belichick, no, no, no. but I don't see them having a roster that's Rams like or Chiefs like with, you know, seven guys making over 15 million. Okay, timeout. Because Belichick like, it's, it's, it's not unlike. Okay, they re-signed Crosby. He was already part of it, and he is the future of that line. And Gakwe came in. So Crosby is part – he was drafted, right? He's here. A guy like Devontae Adams is that one pickup. Doesn't mean like that's so unpatriots-like because let's not be mistaken that the Patriots haven't gone out at times and grabbed one big guy. It's the rest of everybody that they go grab, and it was Belichick's way of sort of seeing that talent, that, that eye for a sleeper. And that's what we're going to see the rest of the way. That's why we don't buy into these big grabs. Football on the way back, plus a little basketball. I want to talk about the uh, lottery and also where the Lakers are right now. And in terms of trying to, I don't, I don't know what, retool, rebuild, because I think a lot of people realized last night, they're like, oh, that's right. Uh, Lakers are in the mix here, but freaking every one of their picks is going bye-bye forever in the first round. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You know, playoffs all about attack and mismatch. Pritchard, they put him in everything. Just like, you know, when I said it's not that, it's, you know, it's playoffs or matchups. You know, you can't guard, you go get exposed. And they did it time after time after time in the fourth quarter. Uh, kind of crippled their defense. Got bodies off Butler and, you know, can't really stay attached to him then. So with a healthy Marcus Smart, pressure those guards, Al Horford. Initially, I didn't know coming in, but I like Boston now. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Well, we always hit football in the 4 o'clock hour with Caleb, but we got to hit some basketball. And I guess Pat Beverly is now going to give his take on everything around the NBA. Why not? They brought him in as a sort of an analyst. Um, I enjoyed the smash job by Beverly on CP3. I don't dislike CP3, but it brought a, a fresh voice in. Uh, a lot of other players thought it was in, incredibly disrespectful, and I know Dame Lillard the last couple of days has just been like, bro, who are you? How, how dare you talk about CP3 this way? Caleb Herring is a massive NBA fan. Caleb, what do you think about this player-on-player crime? Oh, man, it's it's hilarious. I think it's it, it makes it even more hilarious when it comes from active player. Like it, it, I think it, you know former players and retired players and legends have – been criticizing current players for a long time and and in the same way i would even say that that patrick beverly is going after chris paul i mean in a way that uh you know people might come off as disrespectful but because they've achieved a status of legends of the game or great to the game it's kind of allowed and you know people respect their opinion and there's sort of um a feeling that hey if they're if they're saying you need to do something to go do it i mean joel Embiid's one of the cases with the former players like right chuck and shaq 
got on Joel Embiid about how he should be playing better and doing this and such and such. And he should have been the MVP this year. So he responded to that criticism because it came from, you know, great sources. Patrick Beverly isn't the source to to hear this kind of criticism from, especially the fact that he's an active player. It's not, it's not like you do. How many times did you guard Chris Paul this year? You know, like you, you, you criticize a guy for being, I guess, in what I would have said was just overrated. Like Chris Paul's overrated in some ways um, and how people attack him on defense. And he's a cone, which is, hilarious by the way that's a, a, a hilarious thing to say to somebody when you're talking trash to them but it's like did you give chris paul buckets I, could you still play like i mean your team was in the playoffs a couple weeks ago got sent home mind you but you know you they had the best record in basketball and your team didn't do much to stop them you know like I, if it's appropriate for patrick beverly or any other active player to get up on you know espn or tnt or wherever and like come at other active players like that it's just it just it screams jealousy to me like you wish you had the career that chris paul's had as a point guard in the nba like regardless if you're a better defender than him or not chris paul's light years ahead of you as far as the nba will recognize your careers and it, there's no debate about that so why are you why are you coming at him again it's it's just we're confusing from patrick beverly so my question to you caleb is then if if you're being brought on, if you're an active player and you're being brought on as an analyst and you're asked a specific question and do do you respectfully decline comments or bypass it? Because if you don't agree, you, you don't have any business complimenting if you don't agree with it. You can't lie. So should they just avoid bringing active players on? No, I don't think they should. I just don't think so. What Patrick Beverly did was not. I, I think they should. I, I'm gonna clarify that it's fine to bring active players on, especially in the playoff time when when guys are gone fishing and they're not doing anything else. It's fine. Bring them on. It's a new. It's a fresh perspective, hopefully a more honest perspective. But it just seems like Patrick Beverly's perspective in this instance is completely his own, and he's speaking it as if it's some basketball truth or some uh, universally accepted truth that. For one, Chris Paul can't defend or that there's this this secret hatred of Chris Paul that everybody in the NBA that actually plays has. And it just I first of all, Patrick Beverly is already a very eccentric personality. He has a lot of antics on and off the court that are just strange and would be who it would be strange for anybody to, to, to see them outside of the context of Patrick Beverly. Right. Like anybody acting the way Patrick Beverly acts that wasn't Patrick Beverly. So, like, OK, are you OK, buddy? Um, but for him to come on and just go after Chris Paul the way he did, and I don't, I think it went beyond answering any question that he was asked. It was, right. it was like, it was like telling all the 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 details of a relationship that was private until you got the details, and now you're just spreading gossip. Uh, and like I think Dame Lillard, like you said, came out and said, "Hey, whoa, where's this coming from?" So when you have other active players contradicting him immediately, it's like. So then Patrick Beverly's you, you handed the wrong guy the mic in my in my opinion with ESPN bringing him on and that's been three days in a row um, and he's spewing out some stuff yeah it's probably good for ratings but is it true is it worth it is you know is going after Chris Paul's career and legacy so tough really the fight we want to fight right now during this postseason I don't I don't think so I don't think it's worth it Caleb Herring's with us a big Laker fan as well uh, I don't know if you watched the lottery yesterday but the Lakers finish in the eight hole but because of the Anthony Davis trade. The pick goes to the Pelicans. That's the, uh, again, the number eight pick. And, you know, the details on that trade, they traded all those players. They also traded three first-round picks and a pick swap 
So essentially, the Pelicans have the rights to at least two more of the first round picks for the Lakers. So there, there is no rebuild coming. This is a retool or bust. Yeah, it's it's the trade that keeps on taking. If you're a Laker fan, it's part of the reason why when the trade happened, it's like, great, we got a championship for a year, but you bankrupted the future of the franchise. Um, and that's part of my frustration with the move. I, I, I'm, I, I think Anthony Davis is an extremely talented player. But if you're looking at where the two franchises are now, the traject the trajectory that they're on, New Orleans is in a fantastic spot. I mean, they're a healthy Zion away from, I think, being a contender for a championship in the next few years, right? I mean, like, they're a great team, um, a, a young team that's good now, but a right. great team in the making if they play their cards right for the future. And if Zion can stay healthy and and be in his best shape and available for his team, I, I watching them in the playoffs against the Suns, um, you, you got to say, like, hey, they, they, they won the trade as far as building the franchise up goes. Yeah, the Lakers enjoyed uh, some immediate success, but sometimes it's better well, they to They didn't win the trade, Caleb. The they didn't win the trade. The Lakers. Got <laughs> I, I, that's. I tried to qualify it. I wasn't. I wasn't I quick enough with the qualification. Say, back, with back franchise off. building. They. they <laughs> so it's it's they 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 put themselves in a good position to build going forward. Whereas the trade for the Lakers was all about the now and with no foresight into the future. And I think that was the biggest problem for it. As a Laker fan, you kind of sold your soul for now. Uh, and now you're dealing with the consequences of having an aging roster, a uh, LeBron James, who's who knows how long he's going to be LeBron anymore. Anthony Davis, who's never healthy. Street clothes Davis is what we call him. Um, so it's like what, what at what cost? So that, I, I, the only way forward now is, like you said, not to rebuild through the draft because you don't know what you're going to be able to pick because the Pelicans have the future of your franchise in their hands. Um, so you're, you're left with your options in free agency and what nobody likes to say, but I think is actually a plausible solution uh, is to trade one of your big players, one of your big names. And whether or not it's Anthony Davis, I think of the two superstars, uh, we're just going to go with LeBron and Anthony Davis as superstars on the roster. LeBron James is a more, you get more return, I think, for LeBron James immediately right now because of the health issues of Anthony Davis through these last two seasons, two or three seasons. So those are your options now, free agency and trade somebody. So, unfortunately, that's what the Lakers have to work with unless they just want to go through another period of the dark ages like that that forgetful spell um, after the two championships with Kobe. So I, it's it's bleak for Lakers for the Lakers as far as building for the future. Um, but it you, you got to play with the cards you dealt. And that's what the Lakers management have put themselves in this in this situation. Let's go to college football. The portal is still uh, humming along, and there was a weird one the other day. Uh, UNLV actually offered this guy, UAB linebacker Chris Mull, and he had been in the portal for a long time, and then all of a sudden he started getting a bunch of offers. He decides to go to Central Florida three weeks ago, then yesterday flipped to Washington. And listen, I I'm here to back the kids. This was one of those cases, and I've seen this happen a couple times. Actually, it happened to UNLV with Cam Lampkin, a transfer from Utah State, and then all of a sudden he's, I'm going to Washington State. Um Again, I don't know all the details and what's behind the scenes with NIL and all of that, but I just – the commitment – like, once you make the commitment, I just – I don't know. I feel like it's a bad look if three weeks later you're like, nope, somewhere else. Yeah, so I obviously agree with you because of my own personal story. So this is from my personal – this is before the transfer portal. And coming out of high school, I made a commitment to UNLV, and other schools came later and offered scholarships. And I felt the same way as you. I felt it was in bad taste to – to turn your back on a commitment. That was a personal thing. Um, I'm not going to say hold anybody to that same standard, but I, I agree with you that, that it it just doesn't look good for your image as, you know, an honest or 
or a man of your word type of thing. And that's that was more important to me than than changing schools at the last minute. And that's me. Um, I, I think one of the things with the transfer report and the way that it's been going on, I think part of the my logic and why I agreed with, you know, transfer portal and NIL and things like that to give more power to the players is because I think we need to stop treating them like kids. And you said it in, in the question or in the framing of this question is the kid. Like, do we, do, you, do you agree with the kid? And I think it's it's for everybody to change their thinking of this. They're not kids anymore. We got to stop thinking of them as kids. These are young adults who are trying to navigate through, you know, this process in their life and make the best decisions that they think um, will suit them. Whether it's, you know, something like scholarship athletes or in the same age group, people deciding whether or not to take out major college loans. We have to start treating them more like adults, um, which means holding them responsible and accountable for their decisions and letting them face the consequences, whatever they may be, positive or negative, um, on their own and and having to stand on their own decisions without the backing of, hey, they're kids, they made a mistake, and this is what happens. It's, they're going to find out it's a dog-eat-dog world. What they wanted, the the choices now that they have, are, are there's responsibilities attached to them. And I'm interested for what's going to happen. Like, say, you know, commit like this, um, commits to a school, and now all these NIL deals flood his way, and he has to now own up to those and, and be available and ready to those. Let's say there's a, a geographic element to that NIL deal that he has to go to that school. Um, now what are you going to do? Now is the transfer portal is null and void. So now you get to that school and you can't play, and you, you're sad that you're riding the bench. But, hey, you got obligations now. You're yep. an adult. you got to stick it out. you got to stay in that community because that community is – giving you money for for your availability in that community so you can't bail out on the fact that you're not starting anymore and that's part of the deal and we have to understand that and be okay with that and i think the mindset of people covering college sports um recruiting college sports has to really change from recruiting kids to recruiting adults and holding them accountable to the decisions and the commitments that they make at some point at some point you have to be accountable for them and right now it seems like a lot of kids just aren't getting the accountability part it seems like the transfer portal and and other things are escape routes to avoid consequence and i i i'm an advocate of nil i'm an advocate of the transfer portal but when the consequences come you have to be consistent with that line of thinking and for 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 this for for mole i think it's one of those things you committed to somebody and now you got to face the backlash you can call it getting destroyed online if you want to or slandered online that's a part of the business like you say you do something that people don't agree with you have to deal with it. You can say, do whatever you want. You have that freedom, that choice, but the consequences are going to follow, and you have to have both pieces of that pot. Caleb Herring with us. Let's close on this. Uh, one more thing on the transfer portal. I saw the other day uh, there was a college football media person who was complimenting UConn on getting a bunch of Power 5 transfers. And you know if he's up there in total numbers of Power 5 transfers out of the portal. I think I have all the schools here. Tennessee, Michigan State, Florida State, Iowa State, Mississippi State, Louisville, sort of Utah, Utah State with a defensive end linebacker. But um, I do want to warn people that, and you played college football, the difference sometimes between the guy who may not be playing at a power five and a group of five roster, the gap may not be gigantic. Now I'm not saying don't recruit those guys. And I think it's a good thing that, you know, they obviously, a lot of them are going to have the measurables, but you know, you remember last year, there were some power five guys who came over to UNLV and, you know, some didn't make it through the season. Others were eventually replaced by younger guys. Like, it's not an automatic that someone who is, you know, eighth on the depth chart at whatever Power Five school is going to come to UNLV and win the job right away. Um, by the way, I left. I did leave out uh, another Utah person um, uh, on that whole list. There was a, a couple of. Utah
quarterbacks for UNLV. But you get my point, right? That that the yeah. the group of five players are good, and 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 that obviously this can all go back to Harrison Bailey from Tennessee is not an automatic to win the job just because he started at Tennessee. Yeah, I, I mean, even we you think about the line between Power Five and Group of Five teams, like the teams is what the difference is not the individual players like the collection of the good players that you have let's say at power five schools all 22 are you know good players now, that doesn't mean that and if you're one of the 22 starting you're probably not transferring down to a group of five that's number one um if you're getting considerable minutes or everything's going peachy for you at alabama you're not leaving right so that's number one um but the guys that are you know let's say fall through the cracks and don't make it and get recruited at a power five level um, they're still good, and they can fall back down to group of five. And let's just say maybe Alabama and all the other power five schools miss on a couple people one recruiting cycle or a couple yeah. recruiting cycles, yep. and those guys end up at group of five schools. Yep. So just because somebody's at a group of five school doesn't mean he's not capable of playing the game. Um, so that, that, that the, the, the line is not as, as definitive as people make it seem. Yes, of course, if you put power five schools against group of five schools, you'll see in the finished product of two teams going against each other a big difference in the scale of talent. But as far as individual ballplayers go, you can find talent anywhere. And Demonte Adams was a group of five guy. I mean, when you think he's – and he's now the, one of the best receivers in the NFL, if not the best, right? And there's a, a long list of other guys who are elite NFL players who were group of five players. And, and you know, if you went by the standard of power five versus group of five, you wouldn't have expected them to be as great as they were at the game of football individually. Um, and, and, you know, UNLV has a has an influx right now of power five talent, let's say on paper coming down. But like you said, it's not a guarantee. You still got to lace them up and play the game and you can find talent anywhere. And that's, kind you know, kind of the, the the argument I have against going after four star and five star recruits out of the high school process, because just because somebody else's evaluation of them isn't necessarily at the quote unquote power five level, they're not a power five player, doesn't mean they're not valuable in the group of five scheme. Like you, you can come to a, a group of five team and change that team to a great team. And you can be a group of five team and have a collection of great players. And there had, there've been cases of that in the past. Um, so I think people pay a little bit too much attention to the label, which is kind of an invented label when you go back in the history of it. Um, as far as how the term power five came to be um, it's that it never really was uh, about the talent of the players that play on the team, right? It was about the BCS and the automatic qualifier and those conference champions automatically got in the bowl. But that's where the term comes from. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that all the good players go here. There's great players at the group of five, too. And just like there's some not so great players at the power five level. So uh, I think you got to judge individual players on the individual merit. Caleb, great job, man. We'll talk to you. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good rest of the week. There he is, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback or football insider on Wednesdays. Coming up about 10 minutes away from a betting preview of the PGA Championship. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and company. Please don't talk about me when I'm gone. All right, we got two NHL games going on uh, tonight. One has started, one nothing Rangers and Gallant. We'll get into that a little later in the big five. Six minutes left, one nothing Rangers on top of Carolina. 6.30 start, Edmonton and Calgary will start their series. And then right here on ESPN Las Vegas, we've got the Mavericks and Warriors play-by-play. Again, right here on ESPN Las Vegas shortly after 6 o'clock. 
you know, I started looking around uh, at the baseball board and I'm like, man, you know, I'm missing out on making money on all these unders. So today I was like, let me fire in a couple of unders. Let me go with the seven total in the Tampa Detroit game. Uh, Detroit's Eduardo Rodriguez didn't make it out of the first. It finished 6-1. So I got to push on that one, Willie. Then I was like, you know, Oakland just doesn't hit. So let me take the under in that game at seven and a half. Uh, Minnesota 14-4. Was I close on the under? Yeah, a little bit. Kind of, kind of missed, kind of missed on that one. But you know what I do when I uh, start losing bets is I, uh, I just, uh, I medicate the soul by just eating. As you can, as you can see clearly, um, I am, I'm a fried food. Uh, let me say it, fried food person. If I get it out, I'm not really a let's load some oil in a pan. I don't have a fryer to do my own fried food at home, and I also get nervous. Like if I were to do chicken wings at home, I'd be nervous that I wouldn't cook them all the way through. But you, I think you are a fryer. Uh, I, I love the air fryer. Um, I love the air fryer, but I, there is occasion, obviously, as a health nut and conscious of what I'm, how I'm cooking things. But when I do, I use the side burner of the. I've become a side burner guy on the grill, because for bacon, really, and for deep frying because well, then the smell and the grease all over the cabinets and the. So I use a side burner outside on the grill. Yeah, there isn't a time I I can cook something that may be sort of frying. Yeah. Where I'm not setting off the uh, fire alarm. So the other day, I decided Inside, I, I threw some honestly. T-bones on the grill, and then I I put some I I put a pot with the oil. I took some uh, shrimp, some baby bells, some serranos, and then I threw some panko breadcrumbs. Here we go with the panko. Here we go. And I I, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I just I, I like the name. I threw some oil in it. Anyway, put, put this whole batter together, and then I rolled it up into these balls, and then I put it in it. The, so they became these deep-fried shrimp balls, and I just wow. – so I deep-fried those. Beautiful. And it was like – you know what it was? It was almost like a shrimp hush puppy. Mm. But you can get creative with breading. That's the yeah. great thing. I just uh, – actually just got invited to a uh, Cajun fest, oh. which I've been to in the past, and there's a lot of fried foods there. I don't well, you, you were texting me an, inter, uh, an invite. Uh, let me see. Let me see how the connect on this Will one. Will you bring some perfect Cajun seasoning? Oh, that's a good point. Maybe <laughs> I need to, need to drop some off early. Yes. Ooh. Get some signage. Let's go. Uh, you mentioned creative crusting of food. Yeah. Breading of food. Potato chips? I've seen potato chips. Okay. I've seen Doritos. I've seen, you know what I've seen? Takis. People. They really? Use, yeah. They love to use Takis. Yeah, I've seen tortilla chips. Now, how chicken. about this? You know what's a great thing to make? You like chicken fried steak? So-so on it. Okay. So, I don't always love the uh, the toughness of the meat. Well, you know what you use to make it, right? Cube steak. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so you get the cube steak and you use saltines just regular old saltine crackers really and that's and who's banging this thing out because you got to pound that right yeah, well you just, just thin it out and get yeah. it tender yeah, yeah well they're already kind of you know so you, you tenderize a little bit okay you drop it and then here's the key to doing all the frying is you want to put i have dredging plates so they're three and they they connect Very high to tech one. yeah so you, you you put the you put your cube steak in there in the flour first then your egg batter then what you're actually frying it in. People tend to, tend to just, they just tend to go right to the egg and right to the, what you're frying it in. You want to dust it 
with the flour first. Then you put it in the egg mixture, and then you got your seasoned, mashed up saltines, and then you make a nice chicken fried steak that way. By the way, as we found out a few weeks ago, you don't season it once it's in the oil. Because remember that whole thing? Did you see that whole disaster? No. Lady was on lady was on TikTok and she was uh she claimed this was her mother's recipe mm. and uh, she just started throwing she no seasoning no. on the chicken before it was chicken wings and people are like what are you doing like, that's that's a travesty food, food twitter is vicious oh. and especially if you make a mistake like that all hell breaks loose it's brutal and and this is where you know especially during thanksgiving you see always you, you always see people getting ridiculed like you know especially if you if you don't make the mac and cheese right or 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 summertime picnics if you d- do not put the raisins in the potato salad the whole i mean they do it brutalize do it, do it the right way and if you're going to post a picture on the internet you better freaking nail it or else join the conversation on twitter at cofield and co You are listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Back here on ESPN Las Vegas. Before we close out, let's get a final update on the PGA Championship and what to bet and what's going on with Tiger Woods. Cam Rogers from Believe Podcast up on Twitter at Mr. Rogers. 99 has all the information for us. All right, let's start out with this, Cam. Before we make any bets, we got to know what this course is like. So tell us about Southern Hills. Yeah, so this golf course is going to be difficult. And Steve, good to be with you for the first time here, my friend. Listen, Southern Hills has gone through quite a renovation from the past few years. Back in 2019, Gil Hans put through some changes here. So we've got wider fairways. We've got really crazy runoffs on these greens here. So if you hit the greens, you may still actually miss the greens because the ball will roll in a certain direction and funnel off, which is a lot different from what we saw from 2007. 2007 at this golf course, it was tighter. The rough was luscious. It was more of a U.S. Open type of setup. This year, guys can really grip it and rip it off the tee, especially with these wider fairways. So distance is going to be a premium, in my opinion. It's a par 70, but it's over 7,500 yards. Both of the par fives on this golf course are really not gettable in two for most of the field. So distance will certainly be paramount. Hitting greens will be paramount. But really, it also depends on the wind. If the wind is crazy every single day this week, this could be a scramble fest. And then you have grinders performing well here this week, like a Rory McIlroy or a Shane Lowry, Jordan Spieth, Tommy Fleetwood, one of those players. So it really does depend on the wind. But this golf course is going to be a difficult, difficult track. And... I think this winning score could be eight under par, seven under par, or something along those lines. That doesn't sound like a great course for a guy who might have some physical limitations, but people are betting Tiger, so what do you think of Tiger Woods' chances? I don't think he's going to win this week. I don't think he's going to make the cut here this week. To be honest with you, Steve, I'm not exactly bullish on Tiger Woods this week. I mean, you've got a lot of uneven lies on this golf course, hence hills, southern hills, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. It's really long. How is his body going to hold up? He did say that his right knee is stronger than five weeks ago. That would make sense to me. But here's the deal. This is not Augusta National, a course that he knows like the back of his hand. Yes, Tiger won here in 2007, but this is a different golf course here in 2022. And obviously, it's a different body for Tiger Woods here in 2022. The other thing also, he made the cut at Augusta, but that's a small field. 90 players, 
20 of them are past champions guaranteed to miss the cut. This is a full field major championship, 156 players, and it's a deep field. So it really would be, in a way, insulting to the talent on the PGA Tour to think that Tiger Woods could even beat out a Matt Kuchar or a Jason Kokrak, two players who are playing well, but nobody are talking about them. Meanwhile, everybody's betting on Tiger when we only have four rounds of major championship competition to go off of, PGA Tour competition to go off of here in 2022. So I think this is going to be a difficult task for him. That's me being an analyst right now. As a fan, I want him to win, obviously. But as far as putting any finances on Tiger Woods, the only thing I'm doing is for him to miss the cut this week in terms of a bet. So miss the cut is minus 120. And you could also bet him, I mean, if you think he's going to make the cut, you just said he's not. Uh, you could also bet finish top 20, yes, plus 350. Is there any value at all? Or you just go, hey, straight with the minus 120, he ain't making it. Straight with the 120, lay the juice. I guess uh, people are starting to bet that because uh, earlier this week it was plus 100 in terms of him missing the cut. So you're seeing some movement there on the line. Yep. I'd rather go elsewhere. You know, I'd rather make that bet on Tiger if I want to and then move on to other value. I have a lot of top 20 plays this week. Tiger Woods is not one of them. And I've got some good, pretty good prices here with Matt Kuchar and Brian Harmon and Jason Kokrak. I'd rather go in that direction than try to force something with Tiger Woods. I'd rather just enjoy his golf this week than put any money on him. I thought this was interesting. Uh, in Las Vegas, and we're talking to Cam Rogers, golf expert, Mr. Rogers99 on Twitter. Uh, I can get 50 to 1 right now, one book on Tiger Woods to win the PGA uh, down at Circa, they're a little more aggressive in terms of taking positions. And one of their guys said, yeah, we got a bunch of liability on Tiger, but there's no nerves for us. Uh, that bookmaker said, you know what? I'm actually going further and further out on the price and actually offering 104 to one. They want the Tiger wow. action. Let's go. Let's make some money. He ain't going to win it. Yeah, they're smart. Go ahead. Make it 150 to one. I mean, honestly, like <laughs> really? he's just okay. not going to win this week. And, Listen, we talked about this at the Masters, too. I mean, Tiger Woods was a high uh, liability for a lot of these books out there for Augusta, and that panned out pretty well for the Vegas sports books out there. So I think we're going to be in for a similar situation. I mean, you have so many players playing so well right now. Spieth and McElroy and JT and Xander Shoffley. You mean to tell me that Tiger Woods, with four rounds of competition this year, and still trying to work through his recovery is going to beat out those guys. It's just not possible, I don't think. We've said that before with Tiger, though. He has surprised us before, so we shall see. But I can't go there in the outright market. So smart move on those sports books. Rory McIlroy, 16-1 to 1 to win it. You like it? I like it. I don't usually like to go that short in the outright market, but he is my pick to win here this week, third in this field in strokes gained total over the last 24 rounds. He's sixth in strokes gained off the tee. He was runner-up at the Masters, coming off a top-five finish at the Wells Fargo Championship. TPC Potomac there, by the way, really difficult golf course. So Rory thrives on these difficult conditions. Two-time PGA champion at Kiowa and Valhalla. I think he gets his third here this week. Damn. All right. Uh, what about the storyline of Phil, and it really has nothing to do with betting the event, but – What's the scuttlebutt around golf? I saw McElroy actually made a comment that it's kind of sad that he's not there. This should be a celebration. What's your take on Phil and the whole mess with him uh, running and hiding after his Saudi comments? Phil Mickelson is becoming a curious case on the PGA Tour right now. I mean, what's more surprising? Phil Mickelson, at the age of 50, 
winning a major championship on the longest golf course in major championship history last year or showing up or not showing up the next year to defend that title. Like it's pretty remarkable what we're dealing with here. And either he's still trying to figure out how to address the media or he's just done with the PGA tour and he's onto this Saudi backed golf league, the live golf invitational series. Maybe that's the situation, but you know, it's interesting to see all these golfers really distance themselves from Phil Mickelson, unless, you know, you're Rory McIlroy or Lee Westwood or Sergio Garcia. Those names are tied to this Saudi-backed golf league. But Tiger Woods said it yesterday. He hasn't reached out to Phil since these comments became public. <laughs> and Ti Tiger could have said, no, uh, you know, I don't really want to get into that. No, he straight up said, Phil and I have a difference of opinion. I have not reached out to him. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Phil is ruffling some feathers right now. He's got a lot of soul-searching to do. I thought he would return this week. Pretty surprising he hasn't. Cam Rogers, Mr. Rogers 99 on Twitter. Golf preview of the PGA coming up tomorrow. All right, let's go for some long shots. I know you're interested in Daniel Berger. Big fan of Daniel Berger here this week. He was my master's prediction as well in the outright market. I like him for a top 20 as well this week. Flying under the radar, 12th in strokes gained approach. Over the last 24 rounds, couple of top 15s at the PGA, the last four years, really steady player. I like him to make some noise here this week. Going way down the board, how about a Stuart Sink? I mean, absolute dart throw, long shot, but he did win on the PGA Tour twice last year. And this feels like a Sink kind of golf course, right? Not too long, par 70, hit a million greens, make a few putts here and there you know, finished six under par at the end of the tournament, maybe even win it. You know what I mean? He was ninth at Wells Fargo a couple of weeks ago, so he does have some pretty good recent form. So I don't mind Stuart Sink here this week. If you want to make a dart throw, maybe a first-round leader play, something along those lines. And then Jason Day. I mean, I like him for a top 20 th this week, but he could play even better. He's Mr. PGA Championship, hasn't missed a cut here since 2012. He won at Whistling Straits back in 2015. 15th at the Wells Fargo a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's a grinder, short game magician. If this becomes kind of a short game sort of fest, I think Jason Day could thrive. So keep an eye on him. Let's close on a couple of uh, overall uh, themes in terms of propositions. Winning score, 270 and a half, over under. I'm going to go under on that number. Wow. Listen, I, I think this course could be easier for some guys out there. We could have a guy who peels way ahead. Uh, this week, we've seen that at major championships before. Martin Keimer did it at the U.S. Open. Rory McIlroy did it at the U.S. Open way back in 2010 at Congressional, excuse me, 2011. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's some value there on the under, and um, you can hedge that with uh, doing some overs in terms of round-by-round -round bets, too, you know, just sort of balance things out a little bit. But it all depends on the win. I mean, watch the forecast before you make that bet. Take a look at the forecast Thursday morning at – 7 a.m. Eastern time, if you can, you know, just to make sure that the wind isn't too, too crazy. But I do like that uh, play there, yeah. Cam, let's close on this. You guys are putting out a ton of golf town, uh, content. Tell Las Vegans where they can find it. Yeah, follow me on Twitter, at MrRogers99. Follow the Lock It In podcast with Cam Rogers. You can check out all of my insight throughout the week here as the PGA Championship goes on. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. That really was awesome, and now you're all set for the PGA Championship starting up. Tomorrow, let's give away some concert tickets. Who loves Tool? 
Maynard? Well, you know he's also part of Pussifer as they're in town doing their external reckoning tour June 9th at the Smith Center. You can get your own tickets at thesmithcenter.com. June 9th show, Pussifer. We'll take caller 7 right now, 364-1100, Great concert at the Smith Center, 364-1100. More of Cofield & Company is on the way.